Hello and welcome to episode one of the Joyful Dog Podcast. Today's main topic and the very first deep dive of the podcast is all about education versus experience in the dog training career. So that is debating which one is better than the other, why they're better, and whether or not either one should be preferred over the other when you're looking for a dog professional. Some background to this, firstly, is if you're new to the industry or thinking about becoming a dog trainer, one of the important things to note is that the industry is unregulated. So unregulated simply means not controlled by regulations, (laughs) rules or laws. So in the most basic terms, anyone can call themselves a dog trainer. No degree, no qualification, no experience required. So due to this, the quality in the service provided across dog training businesses can really vary and skill level, depth of knowledge, and the experience across individual dog professionals differs dramatically too. It also highlights that neither experience nor education is required to set up on your own as a dog professional. That's how many, if not most, of the dog professionals in my area have gotten started. They've gotten bored of their regular nine to five, they've quit their jobs, and they've opened shop as like a dog sitter, a walker, a groomer, or a trainer, without any prior knowledge or experience apart from just loving dogs. This sounds lovely and brave, and it is lovely and brave, but we need to be aware of all the other skills your dog professional needs in order to provide you with a high quality, safe, welfare-centric service. The reason I'm starting off with this topic is because we really need to get it clear on who's minding our pets and make informed decisions regarding their welfare. We also need to make good decisions if we decide to go into the pet industry and become professional ourselves. When we have all the information, we can make better decisions for all of the people and pets involved. Wouldn't it be a wonderful world if that was the standard across the board? Let's look at education first and the role that having an education plays on your skill set and your ability in a dog professional's career. There are tons of studies out there suggesting that educating people can lead them to knowing more about their chosen subject matter. You'd have to not be paying attention for your entire 13 years or so in school to come out with it knowing absolutely nothing. We know that education is important. Would you trust a dentist with no degree? Probably not. You want someone who knows what they're doing and having an accredited qualification under your belt is one of the insurances that tells us that this individual has invested in their craft, they've sunk the time, energy, and have probably done a lot of assessments and exams to get to where they are today. There is a study released in 2010 demonstrating just how life-changing education can be. There was a collection of a few hundred people in a hospital and they all had a pretty serious heart condition called atrial fibrillation. After they were given their treatment, half of the patients got their discharge notes, their medications and the recommendations from the doctor and off they went. The other half of the group got the same notes, the same medications and the doctor recommendations but then they also got brought into a room with a specially trained nurse who gave them a more in-depth education into their particular heart problem, including how to mind themselves more effectively to prevent future complications. Of the first group, who didn't get the education talk from the nurse, 48% of that group either developed complications or died from the heart condition within three months. And this stayed consistent throughout the first year after their nurse talk. The second group, who got their brief education prior to hospital discharge, 32% had complications or died three months later. This is just one study and it has nothing to do with dogs. The lesson we can take away is that education can have an impact on the outcomes of situations. 
Accredited courses can be a valuable addition to a dog professional's arsenal, provided they're modern, up-to-date and include science-based information. Another thing to check is if your dog professional undertakes continuous professional development each year. The beautiful thing about science is that it's ever-changing. Studies are constantly being peer-reviewed and challenged, or changed and revoked based on newer developments, narrowing of variables and improvements in technology. So a dog trainer who has studied behaviour in 1962 but hasn't read a thing or adapted their training since is probably not going to be as helpful as the trainer who studies, reviews, practices and revises their training on a regular basis based on what new information is out there about dogs. Think of all the changes that have occurred in science just in the last decade. The point is, if your dog professional is educated, have a little snoop on their website to see where that accreditation came from. What's involved in it? Were they declared a dog trainer after two days or did they put two years into a wide ranging course and have continued their education and professional development since then? Is there accreditation from an education centre that uses science and the latest research to inform their courses? Investigating this can take a short while, but isn't your furry best friend worth it? And if you're the trainer, don't you want to provide decent and truthful information to your clients? We're all in this together for the dogs after all. Let's have a little chat about experience and its value and importance when choosing someone to help you with your pet. One of the main benefits of having experience in your role is that you learn how to apply what you've learned in theory to the real world. So for example, you might have just learned how important timing is in clicker training. That is, you have to click at the exact moment the dog does a behaviour and then follow that with a treat. However, until you do it in real life with a dog, you aren't going to fully understand how that works. A lot of dog training is based on not just knowing the foundations, but applying them through your mechanical skill. This means your physical ability to manipulate objects, to operate a clicker, to time your reinforcers correctly, to deliver your rewards smoothly and efficiently, to hold leads, harnesses, positioning yourself relevant to the dog, and so on. There's lots of movement and abilities of the trainer to consider that don't get practiced when studying from books. We simply have to do them. Similarly, when you're learning dog body language, some of the signs and signals from dogs can be really subtle and really quick. We can look at all the pictures we want of these signs and point out all the facial features, um, but we need to see these in action. Whilst we could play videos of dogs on the internet to practice this, videos give you the luxury of being able to rewind them. You can practice seeing these signs in the same dog over and over and over. And it's a great way to hone your skills and get quicker at identifying what dogs are signalling in the moment. But we also need real life experience of this. There's nothing like working in the moment with a dog. How they feel, what their body language is saying, or how you're going to react will all need to be experienced in real time with real dogs in real scenarios. You can't rewind real life. If you miss it, it's gone. So take for example, dog dog play. Dog play can escalate in a second from fun equal play to one dog trying to escape and the other one continuing to bother them or play rough oblivious to their buddy's discomfort. One of the topics I researched when looking up information for this episode was learning styles. I'm sure you've probably heard of these. It's basically a list of different ways people supposedly learn best, specific to that individual learner. So examples of these styles include visual learners, social learners, people who prefer to learn in groups. There are aural learners, so people who prefer to learn through hearing the information, either through lectures, podcasts, or other means. And there's about seven of these learning styles and the suggestion is that people learn better when the information is is adapted to their learning style. However, there have been studies that set out to identify if people actually did learn more when the information was tailored to their specific learning style. 
Turns out there's no discernible difference in that information learned across learners, even when the information is provided in some individual's preferred mode. People might have a preferred learning style, but how much of the content they learn is unaffected by this. Instead, the quantity of the information that you retain and how the information is taught to you should really be tailored to what suits that information. For example, you can't write down a melody sound. You have to play it, but you can't draw a picture of a Shakespearean soliloquy. You just have to write it down. What you can do, though, is present your information in a way that suits the content and suits your learner's background, ability and interests. How does this relate to experience? Because it sounds like I'm talking about education again. The main point of the myth of learning styles is that learners need to experience the information in an appropriate way to them, their abilities and the information itself. So some of the aspects of the dog trainer job is quite physical or a skill like your mechanical skills, then getting experience in hands-on work, practicing those skills, honing them and learning how to spot things is going to be a vital part of your learning journey. Dog trainers need physical experience in those parts of the dog training career in order to maximize their learning and competency in these things. So experience is vital. Equally, this also highlights the kind of experience that's garnered and its importance. There's loads of myths circling the dog world, such as how dogs want to dominate us or be our pack leader or how we need to show them who's boss. But with a good education backed by scientific research, you learn that that's not true. But if going by experience alone, you might want to make sure that the professional you've hired who has 15 years experience has had 15 years appropriate experience. There's no evidence to suggest fear and pain are the best tools to use in dog training. So using them as the first go-to and having extensive experience using those the majority of the time leaves that trainer closed off to other options or at the very least inexperienced in those other options and training tools and highlights a lack of knowledge on up-to-date information on canine behavior and what we know about dogs and behavior in general. So as trainers and dog professionals, we need to have a broad yet thorough understanding of behavior the tools at our disposal, and the consequences of using those tools. Experience gives us tons of practice at using those tools, tons of opportunities to observe behaviour, the consequences of those tools, and how to manage and adapt in that moment. So which would we prefer as professionals or when choosing a professional? Personally, I choose both. I want to know that my dog professional has a good qualification behind them and at least a little bit of experience in working with dogs practicing those skills and reading canine behavior. That for me is what builds my trust in the people I enlist to help me with my dog. As the dog world progresses and more and more trainers are acquiring qualifications, it may become the norm for people to get an education in the field. At that point then, education would become almost a minimum acceptable standard for dog training, but only time can tell. Many courses also offer hands-on experience and practical skills workshops so students can begin to build on their experience and practice those skills prior to ever qualifying and finding employment in the industry. And knowing you've practiced your skills a lot and have seen results from your training is only going to build your confidence. You're much more likely to be confident going to a client appointment if you have an idea of what you're doing. The main reason I wanted to work in a rescue centre was because I felt I didn't have enough experience of working with dogs who find different environments and settings hard. In rescue centres, dogs often come in with a variety of behaviour concerns, such as struggling to cope when they see other dogs, or feeling it necessary to guard objects or items from people that they deem high value, like food, toys, bedding, 
Kennel environments bring their own challenges and stresses, so I really wanted hands-on experience in helping make these dogs' lives better, even if briefly, and to gain experience in helping dogs in the way that works for them as individuals. Turns out that's hard, and every day is a learning experience for me. Coming from working with mostly pet dogs and homes with a good amount of daily human contact, the effects stress has on the dog's behaviour in the rescue has taken me some time to adapt to, and something I'll probably never fully acclimate to. From rescue centres to pet dogs in their forever homes, from rural working dogs to assistants and police dogs, it's a diverse industry and we need to strive to make it better for the dogs and people involved and I think we can only do that through appropriate education and research and appropriate experiences of those involved. So let's move on to the part of the podcast where I talk a little bit about what training I'm doing with my dogs kind of like holding myself accountable and making sure I'm following through with training plans and troubleshooting when something doesn't go quite right. I will. It'll kind of be like a things I find hard and then what I'm doing to make it easier for myself to learn and to simplify section. A little bit of background on my training style. I'm very much someone who wants to try everything from agility to heel work to music. I want to try it all. I've started training tons of behaviours, different sports, even jogging with my dogs and then quickly find some other thing on the internet that people are doing and I say I want to try that and then whatever I had originally been working on takes a back seat. My biggest issue though is not so much my inconsistency it's more so my training plans. Planning my sessions or at the very least writing down the picture of the final behavior is something I struggle with quite a bit. I found myself very often thinking oh I'll train this now I pull out the camera, press record, and the dog offers a completely different behaviour because I might have left a toy in the training space that is super exciting, or I didn't think about reward placement, or maybe I just didn't realise I needed certain equipment. So I've been working on training plans a lot in the last few months, away from my dogs. I listened to an episode of the Animal Training Academy with Eduardo Fernandez, who kindly uploaded his basic training plan template. The template kind of changed my life. I've been sitting down, writing out each and every step of teaching a behaviour and adding the repetitions in boxes so I can check off each successive repetition. So in seeing each step laid out in the plan, I can now track my success much more clearly and can observe my own skills and the dog's progress through video. Whilst I've always known this and I've planned previous sessions, albeit inconsistently, for some reason the simplicity and ease at which Fernandez's training template has brought to the sessions has just slotted all of the pieces of the puzzle into place for me. I think I've found what works for me personally. I have other detailed training templates which I think I'll move on to in the future, but I'm just going to split criteria for myself first. Start simple, work up to more complex when you've mastered one simple template. Another idea I heard recently was to get a few of those sand timers of differing lengths of time, so say like 30 seconds, a minute, 90 seconds, two minutes kind of thing, and having those turned on at the beginning of a session. This signifies the length of time your session has gone on for. It's also useful for watching back and counting the rewards you deliver in that time frame. You can collect data on your rate of reward a bit easier and you don't have to sit there wondering how long you've been training for. There's a simple visual representation next to you. Some of the short courses I've done online have specified lengths of time to train for, and although we don't need to get hung up on time, it can be a good initially to measure your training session length to ensure you're not pushing the dog or yourself or for even measuring duration on behaviours. Word of warning on solely using time though, dogs are individuals and are the experts on their own abilities. They'll show you when they're getting frustrated, tired or want to keep going. If your 30 second timer goes off and your dog is still loving the training session and is really getting the behaviour, 
can probably keep going for a few more rewards. But equally, if 10 seconds in, you realize you've set up the environment in a way that doesn't facilitate their learning and they're getting frustrated already or throwing tons of unrelated behavior, stop, give them something to do and reevaluate what's going on and film as much as you can. You'll spot stuff upon reflection that you didn't see in the moment. And with that, we shall wrap up the very first episode of The Joyful Dog. Thanks for listening. If you have any feedback or want to let me know your point of view, you can message me over on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash polite pause trainer or on Instagram at polite pause trainer. All one word. If you want to hear the next episode, which should be in a couple of weeks time, you can subscribe. I'll talk to you soon.